WTM, watch this movie. I am Eric Mulder. So he says, wrecked him, damn near killed him. Joining me today is Mr. Positivity. How are you, Brett? Pretty good. I'm sure you're doing more than pretty good since we're doing pretty good. top five favorite movie of yours. Yeah. Pretty excited for this one. It's probably in my top ten, but probably in my top three growing up. Yeah. I saw it at such a young age. <laughs> Kind of blew my mind at age 14. <laughs> I saw it uh, either uh, my last year of high school or shortly after. Okay. So you're about 17, 18. Yeah, because it was when uh, when I was doing the Blockbusters <laughs> three months trial and I was just watching like two, three movies a day for a month. <laughs> this was one of them. Speaking of which, I saw that article today on the last Blockbuster in the country. It's in Bend, Oregon. Okay, yeah, because they closed all the Alaska ones. Yeah. Uh, so it's the last one remaining in the country, and it's basically thriving, they say. Well, you get five, ten new accounts a day. In Oregon, I can see. You know. Well, Bend, Oregon, it's a, it's a booming community, I guess. It's, it's fucking, expanding. Fucking hipsters in Oregon. <laughs> well, I assume they don't do their online stuff anymore. I assume it's all in-store. Yeah, I think so. I wonder what their rates are, because they used to charge like five bucks a, a pop. They're saying a ninety-nine cents for five-day rental of kids' movies. Okay. They said in relation to today's new releases, A Star Is Born, you can get for three ninety-nine for three days, I think. Yeah. And then for older movies, it's the same price, begin for a week or five days or something like that. Ah, uh, I see. Which I guess that's about what you would pay if you did VOD. Yeah, and I'm guessing they even have more deals. Like if you get five, you get a five mm-hmm. for five dollars or something like that. I wonder if something they, similar. I wonder if they charge late fees again, because you know they had gotten rid of late fees. What they did is, if you didn't return it, they would convert it to a sale, and then they would charge you full retail price. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you returned it, they might refund you a little bit. Yeah. But uh, so they had shirts that you could buy there at the store. It was it said last blockbuster in America type thing. <laughs> Twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, I I can understand why it would thrive in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all about that hipster shit. Well, today's a pretty big episode. We're kicking off our slate of movies in which we examine media and culture. I guess the uh, worst aspects of both. <laughs> And how they relate to each other and how they kind of feed into each other. So today's breakdown is of Natural Born Killers from 1994. Mickey and Mallory. They're so cool. You know, I respect human life at all, but uh, 
<laughs> I love Mickey and Mallory. Yeah, very controversial film at the time. Uh, in the 90s, was blamed for dozens and dozens of murders, mm-hmm. saying that they were copycats or that they were incited by the movie. There was a lawsuit brought against Oliver Stone, which he beat that case, of course. Yeah. Saying that he tried to incite people to murder people. Which is kind of short-sighted. Yeah. You know. We both watched the director's cut. I think that's the only version I've ever seen is the director's cut. First one I saw from TV was the theatrical. Uh, the theatrical one has been on, uh, I want to say Showtime. I'll look it up, but one of the premium channels just started showing it this week. And uh, the one I saw when I was 14, I think they were playing it on Stars. I want to say. Or Encore, one of those channels. And there was an interview with Oliver Stone beforehand, and I didn't know all that much about the movie. I mean, at least the, the controversy. And Oliver Stone talked about um, he came back from overseas uh, to see serial killers treated like stars on TV. He's been criticized for how violent this movie is, but he talks about how all it does is preach anti-violence. Since violence is shown in the most ugly, kind of over-the-top, and mm-hmm. very unrealistic way as well. Stone talks about how, well, you know, in the first scene, they throw a knife through a window and it kills a guy. That's yeah. Yeah. A bullet stops and spins in midair mm. and then kills somebody. Like this it's not even close to realistic. By the way, it's uh Cinemax has natural born killers right now. Right now? Okay. Yeah. Actually for the next year you can watch it on demand. And uh I mean, when I was watching this when I was fourteen, I can't remember if I'd seen that interview before I watched the movie or after. But still wasn't completely sure what to make of everything. I'm 14. Don't know all that much. Uh, But at the end, though, when the TV starts flipping channels, the very end showing OJ and Rodney King and Menendez brothers, it all just kind of clicked. Like I couldn't probably fully grasp the whole idea, but it kind of clicked for me of what they were going for. Kind of their indictment of the media and our culture. I got a couple of clips. One I grabbed from a documentary on the Blu-ray that I have of the director's cut. And then I also have a part of the intro that Oliver Stone provided for said Blu-ray. So this is just the first one. This is uh, Oliver Stone and then also a producer, Don Murphy or Dan Murphy, one of the two. I think we are a culture going to hell. We've been captured by the media. The media has distorted our value system and distorted the argument itself. So as long as you have a society to which killers are equated the same status uh, as movie stars or television stars or anything else, you're headed down uh, a nightmarish alley. You know, they talk about uh, making killers famous, like they're movie stars or whatever. Yep. That is very true. Mm-hmm. I mean, every mass shooting, they just plaster these people's faces and names everywhere. We talked about, uh, like, Netflix just came out with the Ted Bundy tapes. Yeah. And that was a huge hit. Everybody's obsessed with that. Mm-hmm. People were obsessed with their uh, true crime podcasts and Dateline NBC and uh, Investigation <laughs> Discovery. It's ID. All, it's murder all, porn 24-7. It's all murder porn. Because uh, people just love, they're just fascinated with real life murderers. The media just kind of 
turns tragedy into entertainment. You know, yeah. Anything for ratings. Well, especially in the in the days of twenty four hour news cycle, where you have to you know sensationalize everything because your whole uh, you know everything uh, that your your station is based on is ratings, which is kind of the basis of the movie network. Have you seen that? You haven't seen. Ah, uh, no. Have you? So like network came out in like 1976 and it was about how they took the news division of the tv station Mm -hmm. which was you know all journalism and it's you know kind of its own thing and they kind of put it under the same budget format as the uh the entertainment aspect of this station where its budget was based on its ratings and that's Pretty much how all the 24-hour news stations are run these days. It's all ratings. They're just big corporations. They yeah. need to make money. So so you sensationalize anything you can. And, you know, mass murder especially is one of the most sensational things that you can, you know, have as a news station to cover. Yeah. Um, I think it's also important to note that we're not, or at least I'm not trying to say that if you watch all these shows you're dumb or a stupid person, you know, like I like some of them. Right. I watch it. And it's kind of a, you just need to be aware of what you consume from the media and how it affects you or your life or the choices that you make. Right. And like, for example, making a murderer documentary, that yeah. that's a, it's about a murder. And I think why that show in particular would be a, a little different than the sensationalized murder porn that you'd see in ideas. It actually brings up issues in the current society in terms of crime and punishment, the system, whether mm-hmm. it's corrupt or not. It kind of has bigger things to say or bigger questions to ask. Whereas here's a half hour story of a woman who murdered her husband because he was cheating right. on her. Well, and it's, you know, it's, yeah, we're not condemning people who watch it. But you have to understand, those are real people. Yeah. Like, it's not just a, you know, fictionalized, you know, fictional story where, you know, everybody goes home at the end of the day. You know, the more people who watch those types of show, it's it's kind of the same thing with, like, uh, MTV did, uh, uh, who was that, uh, 16 and Pregnant. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you're going to put... 16-year-old pregnant girls on TV, do you think that might encourage 16-year-old girls to get pregnant? (laughs) Yeah, probably. Well, you're putting murderers on TV in uh, a culture that, you know, uh, puts a lot of uh, weight around uh, fame and attention. Do you think that, you know, maybe that might trigger some people who who have that in their head, like, I want to be well-known, I want to be famous, I want people to know my name. I want to go kill somebody because mm-hmm. I'm going to get on the news. You, know, you watch a movie like John Wick, you know, super hyper-violent. Yeah. Violence is, I would say, glorified in there. Love John Wick. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between fiction and reality. Yep. So it's a little different if you watch John Wick or if you go to your local supermarket and on the cover of Rolling Stone is the Boston Bomber. Yeah, they're doing a profile on him. I mean, there there was a kind of a backlash at the time. I'm kind of wondering why Rolling Stone would put the Boston Bomber on, on their cover. Mm-hmm. It was kind of 
making him into a rock star. It's, it's fucking Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah. But uh, there's limits, too, I would say, in fiction or fictionalized violence. Good taste, bad taste. One could even say that Oliver Stone is criticizing himself in a way. Yeah. With, uh, you know, he wrote Scarface. He didn't direct it, but he wrote it. And, and there's, there's a scene in here where, yep. you know, they're flipping through and there's the, the chainsaw scene from Scarface. Woody Harrelson says, why do they make, keep on making these stupid fucking movies? Yeah. And doesn't anybody in Hollywood believe in kissing anymore? Mm-hmm. And it's just all violence on TV. Yep. But I guess it's important with, with violence in particular, you know, sex as well. Because sex is also sensationalized, obviously in real life, but in the movie too, they yeah, there's visions of it. I think they equate it more with violence, kind of more sexualized violence. Mm-hmm. But um, fuck, where was I going with that? I don't know. Damn, I lost my train of thought. It's hard to say. We're not just condemning people who consume media like this, but I think it paints a very clear yet disturbing picture of where our culture has, I guess, gone over the past few decades, yeah. where it's continuing to go in relation to the media. I mean, it's hard to put blame on anybody because, like, you kind of blame the media for putting it out there, but they're putting it out there because there's an audience for it. Yeah. It's a chicken but, or egg but then type you, of dilemma. Yeah, do you blame the audience for consuming it because it's there to mm-hmm. be consumed, you know? Yeah, it's chicken and egg conundrum. Like, which which is at fault, the people who consume it or the people that provide it? Yeah. So I guess that's why we're trying to, I guess, discuss uh, both sides, or both media and culture. Mm-hmm. Let's sink our teeth into it. Let's go over the details here. Hatchborn Killers came out in 1994, directed by Oliver Stone, script by... <laughs> Well, it's hard to say. Tarantino wrote the script. He has a story by credit here. Yeah. And I don't think Tarantino even wants the story credit because he hates this movie with a passion. Well, I actually read that he he did until he found out that Johnny Cash liked it. Oh, really? There, there's so many stories mm-hmm. where I, you know, hear he didn't like it and I, I heard one like, oh, well, he finally came around to it and then I'll hear, no, he never came around to it. Like, I don't really know what to believe. I don't know. Well, they said he... Uh, he published his version of the script as a, you know, a screenplay that you could just purchase as a, yeah. you know, a, a book or whatever. And so I think part of it was, it sounds like his problem was they changed so much of what his story or his script was yeah, that he didn't really w- want to be credited with it because it wasn't what he had written anymore. Like, the basic structure might have still been there. Yeah. And the basis of the story, but a lot of the details had been changed. Um, so I think that's part of why he he didn't want to be involved uh, in any way. The story I've heard the most about his relationship with the movie was he went to go see it, and he walked out during the I Love Mallory scene. Mm. So pretty early in. Yeah, it was pretty early. It's almost like he saw where the movie was going. He said, fuck this, I'm out. Hmm. Well, I kind of wonder how it would have been if he had actually done it. Now, this was, so his early days, like True Romance, he, he sold so that he could do Reservoir Dogs, right? Basically. That's how it goes. And then 
I don't know the story behind why he sold this one instead of shooting it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he might have sold it around the same time, Mister Romance. Yeah, and it was just a development for a while. And Oliver Stone even talked about, you know, before they made the movie, they were thinking to make it more like just a straight up action movie. Hmm. In his words, something to make something that you know Arnold Schwarzenegger would be proud of. That type <laughs> of action movie. And in the docu in this documentary, they talked about they went out location shooting, or I should say, they uh, they went out location scouting. Yeah. And they were driving down this desert road, some sort of reservation because they were they're eating mushrooms and they're getting paranoid because they're being followed by a Navajo cop. Mm. And uh, they're freaking out. Oliver Stone is goes, "You're going too slow to the whoever was driving." He's like, "I'm going the speed limit." Stone goes, yeah, that's the point. And then he reaches over, you know, the median in there and slams his foot on the on the gas and the car's swerving. Didn't sound like the cop pulled him over, but they were eating mushrooms, obviously. Yeah. And they just talked about how that trip kind of transformed to what the movie was going to be. Hmm. He's known to have smoked a lot of weed making this movie. Well, there's a scene in the movie where Mickey's eating mushrooms and they're being followed by a cop. Yeah, and then they end up, you know, off the road, out in the desert, out of gas. Yep, and then uh, things, art imitating life. Things <laughs> things just go downhill from there. So I think this the more they thought about, the more it just kind of morphed into what it became. Also, you know, like I said, Stone talked about coming back from overseas and seeing all these shows on TV profiling mm-hmm. serial killers and treating them like movie stars. And he's kind of, you know, what the fuck is going on in this country? And yeah. The 90s were kind of known, known as the tabloid decade. Right. And so I, I was, I didn't get a chance to look, but Court TV started up in the early 90s. And I yeah. can't remember if it started with the OJ trial or if it started maybe with the Menendez brothers trial. But mm-hmm. like back shortly before this movie came out is when... They started showing those trials live on TV, and people would just sit and watch them. You know, murder trials. Yeah. Where, you know, you have these graphic details being presented as evidence, and, and people are just fascinated with it. And you mentioned the, the montage at the end of the movie is a big indicator of, obviously, Oliver Stone had that in mind as he was making this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the details here. So there was also three other people credited with the screenplay. David Veloz, Richard Rutowski, and Oliver Stone off of Tarantino's story. Uh, the cast, pretty big cast. Woody Harrelson as Mickey Knox. Juliette Lewis as Mallory Knox. Tom Sizemore as Detective Jack Skagnetti. Rodney Dangerfield as Ed Wilson, Mallory's dad. Uh, Jared Harris <laughs> is in here. Oh, that's right. He just has a small part. But uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince, he's uh, one of the deputies in the prison. Kevin Eddie, up. yeah. Uh, Eddie McClurg is Mallory's mom. Edie. Oh, sorry, one. did I say Eddie? <laughs> he said Eddie. Edie. Edie McClurg. Uh, Russell Means is the old Indian, as he's credited as. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh. Olan Jones uh, is Mabel. Robert Downey Jr. is Wayne Gale. My man Kirk Baltz is Roger. 
Yeah. The Marvin Nash. <laughs> Marvin Nash. <laughs> Marvin Nash. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> you don't have that clip anymore, do you? No. Uh, there's so many just random cameos from people that kind of made it bigger as the 90s went on, like Evan Handler and Dale Dye. Although Dale Dye was in Platoon. He was actually in the military and kind of got into movies with Oliver Stone that way through Platoon. Oh. He plays Dale Wrigley on Bear Claw. Okay. Let's see, who else were we missing? Well, Stephen Wright was in there. He's uh, yep. He's buried somewhere deep in the cast list. Timothy Lee Jones is Warden Dwight McCluskey. Glenn Chin as the druggist at the drug zone. There was about six deleted scenes for this movie, and there's some celebrities in there as well. Ashley Judd played a pretty big role. Dennis Leary was in another one. Uh-huh. <clears throat> All right, let's go to the storyline. Two victims of traumatized childhoods become lovers and psychopathic serial murderers irresponsibly glorified by the mass media. Spoilers. <laughs> traumatized childhoods is right. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't want to go into, I guess, each and every scene bit by bit because it kind of jumps around everywhere. Yeah. Scenes are juxtaposed with other scenes. Mm-hmm. So we'll just kind of generally go through it. It's got. It's almost like a a movie with two halves, like Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, because they they cut to a year in the future halfway through. Yeah, because then the prison is. It cuts to the prison at about an hour two minutes in the movie, which is pretty much right in the fucking middle. Mm-hmm. So it's split in half pretty well. The second half is all prison stuff. First half is murder spree. Yeah, although it's kind of weird. Because in the first half, uh, I had never noticed before, but there's... Crime and punishment. Those are the two halves. But there's... uh, When Wayne Gale gets introduced, he's editing his American Maniacs, and there's uh, things in there that uh, show that it's actually happening after all the murders, because there's, there's stuff in that segment that actually happens after that scene. Yeah, there's some continuity errors in here, but... Which uh, I had never noticed before. I don't know. I never thought about it. Yeah. I guess I'll just start with, uh, this is part of the intro that Oliver Stone provided for the director's cut. Hi, I'm Oliver Stone, and I'm glad to be alive and introduce this version of Natural Born Killers, which is the final version. This was done 15 years ago in 1994 in a period of called the tabloid decade when things really started to get crazy on television and Everything got commercialized, including the news. But the truth is that our society has definitely gone in that direction. The money has gotten bigger. The sensationalism has gotten more ridiculous. I think we all know that. Remember what the Mexican poet Octavio Paz wrote, and it's a great line. The ancients had visions. We have television. But the civilization of the spectacle is cruel. The spectators have no memory. And because of that, they lack remorse and true conscience. They quickly forget and scarcely blink at the scenes of death and destruction, the Persian Gulf or at the curves of Madonna or Michael Jackson. They await the great yawn, anonymous and universal, which is the apocalypse and final judgment of the society of spectacle. We are condemned to this new vision of hell 
who appear on the screen and those of us who watch. Is there an escape? I don't know. One must seek it. That was a pretty cool mm-hmm. poem. Um, yeah, and I should also probably be clear about Oliver Stone. Growing up, he was my favorite filmmaker in the 90s. Um, I'd seen Platoon and uh, JFK in an early age. Loved those movies, that type of thing. Okay. He was like my favorite before Tarantino and Kubrick and some of the other people I love now. Now I can't really stand him <laughs> for the most part. I can't remember the last movie I saw of his that I liked. I generally don't watch his movies nowadays. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think, because this, I've only seen a handful of his movies that he's directed, at least. This yeah. one is by far my favorite. Yeah. By far. Um, I still love Platoon and JFK quite a bit. Wall Street I like a lot. Yeah, like Platoon, I I was a little disappointed. I didn't uh, I didn't think it, was as, uh, it had lived up to the hype that it had kind of built up, uh, at least from what I had heard about it. Mm-hmm. What else? JFK I haven't seen. Um, what was the other one that you just mentioned? Oh, Wall Street. Uh, Wall Street. Wall Street was like watching a foreign film without subtitles for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck are they saying? I don't get this. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just watched Talk Radio, which I I thought was pretty good. Yeah. But I think uh, the main character in that that movie, the main actor actually wrote the play that it's based on for himself. So mm-hmm. you Did know. you see Savages? Yeah, I actually like Savages. Okay. I think it got bad reviews, but I like Yeah, it. it was a more recent movie, but it's I'm guessing it's very violent and his lurid subject matter. Yeah. I think people hated the ending. I don't want to spoil it, but uh I think people were pissed off at how it ended. Mm-hmm. And they Kind of took that out on the rest of the movie, but I thought overall it was it was a good movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know if I have seen too many of his other movies yeah. to be honest. I just wanted to bring up Savages because you know kind of supports what I was saying earlier in that you know you can be a fan of or a consumer of films that glorify violence and still be a decent person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoy the shit out of that. Oliver Stone obviously makes those movies sometimes, but I think it's just important to have perspective. You know, right? Films are part of the media, but you just gotta be able to have perspective on everything. Agreed. I did see The Hand recently too. That was one of his early ones. The Hand, huh? It's a, a hand gets uh, severed. Uh, it's um, what's his name? I can't think of his name now. Fuck. Michael Caine's hand gets severed, and then it starts killing people. Mm. Is that right? Is it a prequel to the Adams family? <laughs> ah, ah! <laughs> it's a spinoff. I get jokes. I joke. I joke. I joke. Why you not know joke when you hear joke? Um. All right. Where should we start here? Uh, obviously, it starts with that. That diner scene is amazing. I love that diner scene. It's not Rosie, it's Mabel. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. 
I don't care what the fuck you call her. I call her pussy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you flirting with me? I swear the movie gets funnier and funnier every time I watch it. I mean, it is a satire. Especially it's seen at such a young age. Like I'm laughing maybe at certain uh, things, but more I'm just shocked at what I'm seeing, all yeah. the violence and you know, there's rape, there's everything oh, yeah. despicable in this movie. I think I, might, I mentioned on the last episode, I considered this one of my top two favorite rom-coms, <laughs> yeah. along with True Romance. The happy ending, too. <laughs> it <laughs> for, is. For a rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, love at first sight, you know? Lovers on the run, separated and reunited. Yeah. Um, it's also important to point out, I think, that they used... Well, Tommy Lee Jones said in one of the documentaries that they used 18 different formats. Now, I don't know how there'd be 18, but he started listing them. You know, they have 35-millimeter camera. They have 16-millimeter, 8-millimeter. They use videotape, a uh, bunch of different stuff. So yeah, it was, was like 18 formats... I was going to look that up because I had read something about that years ago when I had been going through the, the trivia. And I haven't had a chance to go through it really in depth. But I mean, These different film stocks, these different filters. Yep. They have animation. Yep. See, that's a format. Black and white, color. They do the rear projection. Yep. Yeah. And I'd be interested to see if they have the... Uh, the average length of a shot. Because I assume it's I know there's very a, low. There's very around 2,500 to 3,000 cuts. Yeah. I believe it's in the trivia. I think we'll get to it later. But it has, I don't think it's a record, but. Well, it's it's, it's well above precedent, average. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's well above average. <laughs> yeah. Some people have called it our biggest budget student film ever made or experimental <laughs> film ever made by a studio. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's one of the things that I I love about it, though. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that really stood out, you know, the first time I watched it. Like, I really like how they they do this. Because it seems to add to the story to me. I don't know. It adds to the, the style, at least. In an interview, Woody Harrelson was talking about how he got involved with the project. And he said that Oliver Stone kind of sought him out. And, hmm. And he was wondering, you know, why did you think of me? You know, at the, at the time... All I'd really done or that he would would have seen me in is white men can't jump or cheers. Right. And he just kind of looked at him and goes, I see violence in you. <laughs> and he, he went on, Oliver Stone went on to say, you know, well, you know, his dad is in prison for murder, for yeah. being a hitman. Uh-huh. So <laughs> that kind of plays into it, too. Do you remember uh, offhand, is it just one murder that Woody Harrelson's dad is convicted of? He's a hitman for the mob, correct? I want to say I it's, where I, I want to say it's probably multiple. I think he's from Indiana, or was that just his Cheers character? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> uh, can't remember. <laughs> I know we could probably look it up because he's kind of got a southern accent, but I don't know. I think he's Midwest, Texas. He's from Midland, Texas. That's where he was born. So it says his father was. Uh, Arrested in 1979 for killing federal judge John H. Wood Jr. in San Antonio. Damn, federal judge. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hitman for the mob. His dad died in prison as well in 2007. Yeah. Why was, a maximum facility prison. I was thinking in this movie his dad was a murderer too, but I think he just killed himself. 
Well, they allude to uh, he might have killed his father. <laughs> yeah, because he he happened to be there yeah. out in the field when he when it, his head got blown off. Wayne Gale brings it up in the interview, and it's probably the most pissed off Mickey gets in the whole movie. I did read too. There's a so there's certain parts in the movie where they intersplice just quick shots of violent imagery, and one of them is a headless body getting up out of a chair. And that's yep. supposed to be Mickey's dad. Okay. After he gets his head blown off. I think it's also important to note that some of those images, uh, they uh, they show Robert Downey Jr. dressed up as the devil. Yeah. So it's kind of you know equating the media as evil. I don't know if I, I knew that it was him as the devil, but there are a lot of images I of the I caught it the, the last time around that it was Robert Downey Jr. dressed up as the devil. Okay. He still has the goatee. He doesn't have the big hair, of course, because he has the horns and whatnot. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's Robert Downey Jr. I think uh, during the opening credits when they're doing, they're in the car and they're doing all the uh, the rear projection scenes and it's like Godzilla and a whole bunch of other movies. Yeah. And then there's just a bunch of demons just running next to them. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, with, along with the experimental nature of the film and all the different film styles and cuts the music also plays a huge role in this uh, trent Reznor did the score slash soundtrack mm-hmm. i know there's some uh, fun fact we'll get to later about how many times he watched the movie but he watched it like dozens of times yeah and then it was like okay now i'm gonna do the soundtrack <laughs> yeah i'm in the right frame of mind now and the soundtrack is amazing yep. like there's so many great songs and they're used to very great effect along with the imagery it made my top five list of uh music to movie juxtapositions oh yeah there's some scenes where like even in the the opening diner scene they do it where they start doing this uh you know soothing musical score yeah as they're just slashing these guys up and throwing knives at people and shooting the cook and you know all that stuff yeah, I, I'd chosen the uh, prison riot, part of the prison riot sequence, along with some, it was some sort of, uh, it sounds like an African tribal song, mm. but um, yeah, I couldn't even pronounce the name, like if you can listen to that episode, like the artists and what the song is, I'm like, ah, I'm just like trying to sound <laughs> and spell things out. It was really confusing, because they used two actually, They com- he combined two different songs mm. to, to get that. But anyways, um, so yeah, they kill some people in the diner cuts to uh, credits and there's a stylized scene of them driving around with the rear projection. It's kind of nonsensical. Yeah. If if you think about how they do it, but it's like different clips from classic movies. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's like the scene of them driving through the closed road signs and driving my monsters breathing fire and you know we mentioned the demons just show up and start running <laughs> by the car <laughs> it's 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 very hammy and very uh you know uh tongue-in-cheek i think yeah they pull over to uh take some pisses <laughs> they need to take a piss and um they reminisce about how they first met and i got a clip here from uh mm-hmm. Uh, the scene in which they first meet. I don't have the whole scene, of course, but right. it's the I love Mallory scene. I've loved you since the day we met. 
Hi, Dad. How is work? What work? I'm unemployed. Where the f*** have you been, huh? Well, you look nice, Mallory. Yuck, you look like... <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Well, I'm gonna go now. I'll be back at midnight, okay? What are you wearing, a broomstick in a trash bag? Why don't you put some meat on you, huh? A few pounds lighter, you'll be missing the opium. What the hell do you think you're going, huh? I'm going to the John Lee Hooker concert with Donna. I told you that yesterday. First off, you don't tell me anything. You ask my permission. Second, you're not going out in that hula house dress. You'll end up peddling your ass, you stupid bitch. And third, you're not going out at all. You didn't mow the yard. That piece of shit lawnmower is fine! Are you talking in front of your mother? You stupid bitch. You watch your language. Or I'll kick the shit out of you. Like I do her. So if your ass is in this house, it's my ass. So you move it upstairs and take a shower. And you make sure it's a good shower. Because I'm coming up after. You see how clean you are. Yeah, I think that's a great way to show kind of at the time and still relevant to today's standards of kind of what our country considers entertainment when they're mm-hmm. watching TV. I love that they have the laugh track and the yeah. the applause. Well, and it's, you know, just showing how, they're, you know, these sitcoms deal with these serious issues in such a nonchalant way, you know, make a joke out of it. Yeah. Like in, in this case, it's, uh, you know, incestual rape which is fucking horrible yeah but it's it's a sitcom so it's funny yeah you know it's all about how you frame it (laughs) right which is you know i had this as one of my top five dinner scenes on that episode that we did Mm -hmm. the one that we did and did not release because it was no that was uh, we were always the dinner dinner scenes yeah he's our consensus pick for worst movie dad yeah on our too dark to release episode yeah we did top five worst dads and it was an unreleasable episode because it was so fucking depressing <laughs> it was it was a rough list it got dark <laughs> and it was in celebration of father's day <laughs> yeah <laughs> we did it for father's day <laughs> we thought oh maybe we should put this up. <laughs> it was just a very not funny episode by the end of it i'm just like <laughs> we can't really joke about this because it's too dark. <laughs> yeah. But uh so this scene is uh like a juxtaposition like most of the movie. Like Ronnie Dangerfield is both terrifying and hilarious at the same time. Cuz yeah. he's cracking jokes, but the subject matter for some of them <laughs> is just like like what are you wearing a broomstick and a trash bag why don't you put some meat on your bones and then he starts like feeling her up and shit i'm like oh yeah. i mean what the so well, it's, it's kind of like we'll think about stand-up comedians when there's a rape joke yeah it's a joke about something terrible like a rape but it can still be funny you know obviously that's a very controversial subject even today right some people can probably even more controversial today yeah some people contend that you can't joke about rape no matter what Mm-hmm. Other people would say, and who gives a fuck? Go for it. Yeah. But I think it's yeah very relevant to show in the scene where 
he's joking about dark shit, but hey, he's Rodney Dangerfield. He's a funny motherfucker. <laughs> right, yeah. Just because you yeah. laugh doesn't mean you agree with it. Yeah. And it, it, it just goes to show that, yeah, you can soften pretty much any subject matter. Like, raping your daughter is not a funny thing at all, but... You know, you put a laugh track on there, put some funny sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, 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 try not to laugh at some of that stuff. Makes it more comfortable to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Mickey shows up. He's the meat man. Yep. 50 pounds of beef, man. <laughs> Ed Wilson was. I'm going to have to have a talk with my husband. <laughs> He's he tired of eating macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's it's love at first sight, you know. Yeah. You, you, did you dress up for me? How am I gonna dress up for somebody I don't even know? You know, maybe something inside you told you so. You know, like fate. You believe in fate? Yeah, fate is another recurring theme throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So they uh, they steal Ed's uh, convertible. Yeah. And uh, Mickey gets caught eventually and arrested for Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. It's all right, though. He's got a, a public conjugal visit. <laughs> <laughs> Can I help you? <laughs> Getting a hand job in the uh, meeting area. The, the visitor's quarters. <laughs> Which is weird because like, everybody just lets it go. Like, mm-hmm. There's a couple of people who look over uncomfortably, but like none of the... None of the uh, COs are even bothering to pay attention to it. Yeah. He escapes during a tornado. Yeah. They're do- he's on like rodeo duty or something. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. They're wrangling horses. And uh, there's a tornado and chaos allows him to steal a horse and right off towards the, t- the tornado. Maybe they're at the uh, stir crazy prison. I, can't- I don't know. <laughs> it's the only other movie I can think about with rodeos and prisoners. Yeah, I don't know. So they they journey across the Southwest. So do you think this starts in Texas? Uh, not sure. Because do you think they would have uh, rodeos in uh, New Mexico? I'm sure they would. Maybe. They have rodeos everywhere. Because they kind of <laughs> go through New Mexico, Arizona, and uh, end up in California, I think. I mean, but more so throughout the entire west you know i mean outside of even in california right. you get the more rural areas are still but I, i'm saying in the movie that's where their journey goes i think so um so I, I just don't know where they started yeah i don't know but anyways mickey comes to save mallory after he breaks out of prison of course we, we gotta play one more clip though this maybe the, maybe oliver stone is just trying to show that what the audience was for this type of television mm-hmm. with a uh, surrogate played by Rodney Dangerfield. As wild as Spike escapes and Tataka delivers a break is on. There's no action here. What am I watching? Two fucking fags? Kill him! Kill a fucking Indian! Is that what you sound like when you watch wrestling <laughs> two, three times a week, Brett? <laughs> I don't know if that specifically. <laughs> I would probably been cheering for Tatanka. Yeah. Tatanka's nickname for like a year and a half was the undefeated Native American Tatanka. Was he actually Native American? 
Yeah, I think he is. Because it didn't really matter back then. They said he was from the, the Lumpy tribe in North Carolina. <laughs> I remember because, uh, or no, Lumpy. I think it's the Lumpy tribe. Like Lumpy. That's got to be That fake. was the joke uh, at WrestleMania 8. They had a bunch of uh, Native Americans doing a like a, a dance in the ring before his match. And they left and Bobby Heenan goes, where'd all those Lumpy Indians go? <laughs> And they were in Indianapolis, and he's like, they're not that far to go. Cleveland's not that far from here. I see, yeah. And girl Monsoon goes, will you stop it? <laughs> um, who Who's the other wrestler in there? It was just some jobber. I didn't recognize him. <laughs> just some jobber. <laughs> it was just some enhancement talent that they brought in to do the job, which is funny because, like, you know, Back then on a show like that, you knew who was going to win Yeah, like, every time. So the fact that he's cheering for the jobber is hilarious. I also thought it was uh, some good foreshadowing there when he says, kill the fucking Indian, and then mm. Woody Harrelson ends up killing an Indian. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's, a, that's all they connect. <laughs> that, was, that was too short-sighted. Uh, so, yeah, they kill... Rodney Dangerfield, Mallory's dad, and then they go upstairs and uh, kill the mother. They burn her alive because she didn't do nothing. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like Woody was about to go and kill the the brother, but... Well, Mallory's like, you're free now, Kevin. You're yep. free. She's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. What was he dressed as? Was that supposed to be a clockwork orange outfit? Either that or a kiss uh face paint well the first one was kiss <laughs> mm-hmm. when they were at the the dinner scene and then he was wearing something different and he had like the uh the eyelashes okay alex's eyelashes but the uh the outfit looked different alex delarge yep yeah i guess i forget i probably just blended it together with the dinner scene where he's wearing the kiss makeup yeah he's wearing full gene simmons makeup at the dinner scene uh, from there, it kind of goes into American Maniacs territory. It has a the show has a graphic that looks like American Gladiators logo slash graphic. Are, but, you, uh, it's, uh, are you skipping the wedding? We to get married before they get into American Maniacs. I guess we do. They do get married on top of a bridge. They cut their hands Which and is very romantic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know become well. They're not blood brothers, but obviously they're <laughs> blood siblings no spouses blood spouses bonded by blood yeah but i mean and it falls down to the river below they're blood brothers that just will happen to get married (laughs) blood siblings i like that scene that is uh yeah i i like uh when they when they put their hands together and the blood drops down and then they do the the animation of it kind of bonding together they talk about their blood's going to th- flow through all the rivers in the world now and all the water. That animation kind of reminds me of uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Cause there's yeah, kind of it like was that, that style. So. Yeah, but then we are introduced to Wayne Gale. <laughs> this is the, the first time Robert Downey Jr. played an Australian. Second time was the Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to admit, Robert Downey Jr. as an Australian, amazing. Robert Downey Jr. as anything else is kind of hit and miss for me. <laughs> you say I, he's just playing himself? Cause I, well, <laughs> yeah, a lot of times. Because I saw this one, and I'm like, this dude's a great actor. And then I saw Trap- Tropic Thunder, and I'm like, that dude's an amazing actor. 
And then uh, I seen him with a couple other things. I'm like, this guy's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Were you disappointed with the soloist? Is that it? I never saw that one. I think it was more Iron Man. Like everybody's like, this he's so great in Iron Man. Like he's just playing himself. I enjoy him in Iron Man. I find him amusing. I guess he was okay in uh, Avengers: Infinity War. Yeah, in small doses, he's he's good in the in the the Iron Man role. I think. Yeah, he is uh, terrific in here. Of course, Uh, Wayne Gale is the host of the American Maniacs, which kind of profiles different serial killers, mass murderers. It's like an Australian Geraldo Rivera. (laughs) Yeah, seems like it's something like a weekly show, probably. Yeah, something like that. Some sort of serial. But uh, he starts talking about Mickey and Mallory, and his, uh, this is him talking about a reenactment. And then we're going to play another clip where they're doing some street interviews with people talking about Mickey and Mallory, and it kind of shows the relationship between the culture and the, or, yeah, the, culture and the media and uh, how our culture is a bit corrupt, how we yeah. glorify these. These terrible people in the I media. Think, I think glorify is the right term yeah. for uh, how the reaction is from the man on the street. Yeah. Tonight, I'm standing on Highway 666, running through towns like Cortez, Shiprock, Sheep Springs, and ending in Gallup, New Mexico. To some, a beautiful stretch of the American landscape, but to Mickey and Mallory Knox, who are still at large, it is literally a candy lane of murder and mayhem. Patrolman Gerald Nash was just the first of 12 peace officers that Mickey and Mallory murdered during their reign of terror. Gerald and his partner, Dale Wrigley, were parked at this donut shop, Alfie's Donuts, when... This 1970 Dodge Challenger pulled up across the street from the donut shop. Gerald is only three weeks out of the academy. Come walking out with coffee. Thanks, folks. My bear claw. Hey, you. Driver asked him a question. How the hell do you get to farming? He looked like he was giving street um, directions. Take it down to 324, take it over to 66, and Farmington's up about 65 miles. Quick ride. You folks going there? When he finished uh-huh. well, and nice waved day. him thanks, Thank then up come that shotgun. Don't listen to Brett when he talks about this movie. He only likes it because he has a huge boner for Dodge. <laughs> they drive a Dodge Challenger the whole time. Yeah, I inherited <laughs> it. My dad loves the Challenger. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I don't even know if I knew or even paid attention to that the first time I watched it. Yeah. It was before they brought the Challenger back, mm-hmm. and so I... My so dad like, would mention it from time to time, but once they brought the Challenger back as a, a newer car, that's all I heard about from him. <laughs> yeah. Your dad has a Challenger, right? Yeah. yeah. He has one of the newer ones? Yeah. And you have a Charger. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get a Challenger next, huh? I don't know. Probably not. Well, I don't know. It's uh, not likely. Is your next car going to be another Charger? Or I don't know what my Dodge? next car is going to be because uh, I got... Uh, Hemi with all-wheel drive, and they don't make those in sedans anymore. Mm. So I might just hold on to this one, like Grim Death. 
It's got a hemi. <laughs> you know. Well, in, uh, you know, by 2030, there won't be cars. <laughs> It'll just be high-speed trains. <laughs> no airplanes either. Oh. There'll be horses, though. <laughs> we'll replace all the farting cows with farting horses. Yeah. Okay, now here's the uh, here are the interviews with different people and their opinions of Mickey and Mallory. What do you think of Mickey and Mallory, huh? Hot. They're hot. Totally. I love Mickey and Mallory. They're so cool. They're so great. Mickey and Mallory, best thing to happen to mass murder since mass. Yeah, but uh, they're way cooler. Took all the great figures from the States. Elvis, uh, Jack Kerouac. James Dean. Dean. They are super cool. Mickey, c'est l'homme. Jim Morrison, Jack Nicholson, and a bloody pail of nitro, and you got Mickey and Mallory. I'm not saying, you know, I believe in mass murder or that shit, but don't get us wrong. Yeah, you know, we respect human life and all. But if I was a mass murderer, I'd be Mickey and Mallory. We respect human life at all. Yeah, I'm <laughs> glad you put that disclaimer out there. But that's yeah. what people are like, you know, with, uh, you know, certain, uh, they're attracted to that kind of uh, charisma. Like Manson was one of those guys. People still love Charles Manson. Yeah. I mean, obviously this scene's a little bit ridiculous, but to this day, you know, Serial killers, mass murderers, they're getting hitched in jail all the time. Mm-hmm. Other devoted fans and followers or, you know, the this person was just misunderstood, you know? Right. Or you know, falsely accused. You know, there's plenty of Manson people that, well, you know, technically he didn't he murder didn't, anyone. Yeah. He's he, had people <laughs> murder for him. He brainwashed people into doing it. Actually, uh, this week's episode of the show Corporate on Comedy Central... Mm-hmm. It was about uh, a tragedy, so like a, a mass killing, and it was all about how people exploit tragedies like that to get likes on social media. Yeah. So that's the new thing. Instead of glorifying the the killers, it's using the tragedy to bring attention to yourself. Yeah. Glorify the victims. Well, not even that you're exploiting the victims yeah so it's the people who are like you know thoughts and prayers thoughts yeah. and prayers mm-hmm. you know those people anthony jeselnik actually i think he always tweets out something every time there's a tragedy about you know how people just go to twitter or facebook or whatever and tweet out thoughts and prayers because it's all about me yeah you know they try to make it about themselves so i know there's been Plenty of different terror attacks in France, but the, the big one, where the the bomb went off outside the soccer game, and there was the the multiple shootings. I believe a a cafe was shot up, and also the Bataclan Theater. Oh yeah, yeah. the Eagles of Death Metal were playing. Something like maybe around 130 people died, roughly. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, you went on Facebook, and one by one, everyone changed their profile pictures to. It was uh, layered with the French flag. Yeah. So you had that French flag filter over your profile pic. And I, like myself, I ended up eventually changing mine to reflect that because I look at 
my feed, everyone's is fucking changed. So then I'm feeling, well, if I don't change mine, everyone's going to think I'm a, I don't know, a, like you don't care, like you're soulless. Yeah, like I'm a fucking asshole. Yeah. And so I just did it out of, I don't know, I guess pressure yeah. or conceived pressure by everyone else. I mean, nobody was giving me shit yet, but I thought like, well, mm. people are going to think I'm soulless if I don't put the French flag, yeah. you know, layered onto my profile pic. Don't you support victims? Yeah. Uh, don't you condemn this terrible terrorist act? Yeah, I do. <laughs> don't make me change my picture. Another, if another incident like that happened again, now I think I'd, I'd have the balls to not change my picture. But mm-hmm. and it's not that you don't care, yeah, or that you're condoning the violence. It's just it's not about you. Yeah, you know, and. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, we need to show our support. But how many of those people are on Facebook looking to see, oh, this guy didn't put a French flag on his picture. He doesn't <laughs> support me. Some random guy in America that I've never met, will never meet, doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't care because he didn't change his Facebook fucking picture. Well, I sent my thoughts and prayers over the ocean. So <laughs> I'm sure they got there. Well, God is everywhere. so That he is. He's got universal delivery. <laughs> Not on Sundays, though. <laughs> That's the day of rest. Uh, so where do you want to you want to get to? Whether in the desert, stranded without gas, I think that's a good spot. You want to skip to that? Because I think the next one is when they're they go to the hotel and they're they're having the fight. Um, Mickey's watching TV. Yeah, and it's got all the. I, f- I forget who else is in there. Like, is there like a Hitler speech in there? And then the uh, well, scarf- I know on the window because the window in the background is also showing images, not yeah. necessarily television shows. Some of them are, yeah. At least some of it looks like uh, there's footage like a- from Hitler's speeches or a march, yeah, a Nazi march. And then there's like animals fucking, and I think there's some uh, like plants decomposing and stuff like that. Yeah, things dying and. Molding and yep. stuff growing from death, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting images kind of juxtaposed together. But, yeah, they have a fight. This is after they've taken a hostage. Yeah. Which is a little more graphic in the director's cut. Uh-huh. It's funny in that documentary, uh, you know, they're talking about the director's cut. Woody Harrelson was talking about that scene. And he's saying, you know, I'm glad they cut out most of that scene with me and the hostage it gets pretty extreme in there mm-hmm. you know unless you guys restored it for this director's <laughs> oh you did <laughs> yeah yeah luckily it's still only flashes but yeah and i alludes to the rape of the hostage yeah several years ago i watched the director's cut with oliver stone doing commentary over it uh-huh virtually every every scene is him just like the whole commentary is him going, uh, we had to cut that, we had to clip that, we had to cut that just to get it in theaters. <laughs> uh, that we cut, that we clipped, that that was a cut. That we had I believe to get in the documentary, he says something about 155 cuts or so that he had to make for the MPAA. Yeah, yeah IMDb in the they have a section for alternative versions, and it lists all. I don't know if it's all of them, but many of the changes they made between the director's cut and the theatrical cut 
and there's probably at least 30 things that they mention. Yeah. I guess it's like a four-minute difference, but, like, there are a lot of scenes where there's just an extra, like, two- or three-second clip that they they had to cut out because it was too violent. Hmm. And, uh... Yeah, I suppose. It really does make a difference, though, I think. Zampy double A bastards. Mm-hmm. That's a fucking joke, right? Do <laughs> <laughs> you think it would pass for our writing today, the director's cut? Uh, not sure. Or they'd probably have to make fewer cuts. Because a lot of things are within context as well. You, you might see some movie that has some horrible rape in it or some graphic murder or like think about a movie like dead alive might be the goriest movie ever but it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek horror comedy Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean this is satire but i'm sure not everyone saw it that way when they saw it yeah you know it's over the top but maybe they thought it was just shock for shock's sake Mm -hmm. versus well it's trying to shock you but he's trying to say something as well so I think it would definitely have a better chance of being R-rated now than in 94, but yeah. without any cuts, I'm still not sure. There's still some graphic shit in there and I mean, heavy subject matter. They might cut out some of the, the rapey stuff, but I think some of the more violent stuff they'd leave in. Yeah, I don't know. Because, like, you know, we, I just talked about the accused that I saw the other night. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty graphic rape scene. Oh, yeah. It's a more graphic rape scene that what you see in here in terms of just rape. Oh, yeah. But that's a serious movie about that subject, and I think that I'm sure they didn't really have to cut much or anything for for the accused. Probably not. Like, oh, this is fine. You know, this is an important subject to talk about. Here's your R rating, Mm -hmm. you know. I'm sure the context kind of plays a role in it. They probably would cut out the the hostage part, though. Maybe, yeah. Came out today. Um, So, yeah, Mallory gets, uh, she gets pissed off and she leaves because Mickey's uh, making faces at the hostage and Mallory feels unloved and, like, uh, like he's getting bored with her. So she leaves, she goes to a gas station, and she just starts seducing the the attendant there. Yep. And uh, it's kind of funny because when he comes over to so she she pulls up to the gas tank uh pumps and the guy's pumping her gas and then she goes over to the garage to get a corvette and then they show the guy coming over but it's she's seeing mickey come over yeah which is kind of interesting and then he he recognizes her but he can't figure out from where yeah until he's uh, all up on her Shit, you're, you're Mallory Knox, ain't you? Yeah, and then he gets real aggressive, real mm-hmm. handsy. Too fucking eager. He didn't go down long enough. That was, that was the problem, and it gave her shitty head. Worst mm-hmm. fucking head I ever got. Right? <laughs> right. And uh, so she kills him, and then we're introduced to Jack Scagnetti. Now, she, what, she leaves a butt print? Is that what I'm led to believe? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a thing? Do people leave butt prints? Well, she was uh maybe it was a freshly she, waxed Corvette. They left a Well, I don't know if it was freshly waxed or if it was uh dusty. It might have been dusty. Yeah, it could have been dusty. And then uh she left her panties behind. 
Yeah. Which Jack Scagnetti. My wife snips. could never fit in these. <laughs> Jack Scagnetti. Takes a big old whiff. He's he's so fucking weird. He's such a pervert. Oh, he's he's probably as bad as Mickey and Mallory. Maybe even worse. Yeah. I don't know if worse. Also but, traumatic but, childhood. Oh yeah. Since his mother was shot by Charles Whitman mm-hmm. out of the University of Texas Tower. Yeah. But uh yeah, so so we were introduced to Skagnetti. He plugs his book right away, doesn't he? Yeah, he's talking to a cop. He's like, Skagnetti. go to your local bookstore. It's probably there. You should buy it. Skagnetti on Skagnetti. Yeah, Skagnetti on Skagnetti. He won't give it away. By Jack Skagnetti. <laughs> <laughs> so so he's famous. He's a pretty famous uh, detective, obviously, if he wrote a book on himself. Yeah. And then from there, they, uh, as you had mentioned before, they get lost in the desert. Uh, there was actually a deleted scene, or I guess this scene is expanded, where, you know, there's the, in the movie, Mallory starts bitching at him, you know, why did you kill my parents with me? Why did you, what are mm-hmm. we do, doing out here in the middle of the desert? And after he calls her a stupid bitch. <laughs> yeah. That's why my father you used to call me. stupid bitch. And she gets, in the deleted scene, she gets more pissed off. She takes out a gun and starts shooting at Woody as he's sitting on the ground, mm-hmm. kind of like making him dance, and she... Makes him take his pants off, down oh, to yeah. just his underwear, and run around. And at that time, uh, the Indian and his grandson are kind of grazing their sheep, hmm. and they see all this. And that there's the sheep with the fucked up horns. Yeah, that starts chasing Woody Harrelson around the hmm. desert. He's like running around for thirty seconds, and they're chasing him. He's uh, freaking out. <laughs> and then finally, he goes back to the herd, and they take off. And he's Woody Harrelson's trying to get the Indians' attention, saying we ran out of gas, and mm-hmm. obviously the Indian doesn't understand English. So they just kind of start following him in the herd. That's how they nice. find the house. Okay. And he's high on mushrooms at this point. Yep. Actually, I I love what they're getting followed by the cop. Woody Harrelson is, not yeah, the Yeah, Mickey Indian. is, yeah. <laughs> so they're getting followed by the, the police car, and then they turn off the road. It's supposed to be like a shortcut to a town and he goes uh that's right coaches go eat some more fried bread (laughs) (laughs) okay donuts i mean donuts i guess that means donuts uh yeah where's that going from there i forget yeah it just goes to the indian's house they show up and knock on the door and Mm -hmm. the indian doesn't speak any english with them at all but i was gonna mention too that mickey says he'd go down on a lawman for a gallon (laughs) of gas (laughs) yeah that was the other line I wanted to mention, but yeah. So they go, they get in the t the TP. Well, it's more of a bigger structure. Well, it's still kind of a TP. There's wood. It's surrounded by wood, but yeah, there's more it's, of a TP type of roof. Yeah, it's like Bill. Walton. It's a double wide TP. It's what like it Bill is. Walton's TP. <laughs> you know, oh, Bill, yeah. Do you know Bill Walton's got a TP? No, in his backyard. Makes sense though. Smokes weed in it. I'm sure he does. <laughs> Hot boxes himself. <laughs> That's why he's the way he is. It's Grateful Dead vinyls out there. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, once they get in there, they they flash on across Mickey's uh, midsection the word demon and then too much TV. Yep. Which the Indian can immediately, you know, see that this guy is up to no good. Tells an amusing story about a snake. Mm-hmm. The joke kind of goes back a ways. Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. 
Now, Russell Means plays the Indian. You know much about Russell Means? No, I don't think so. Well, he was born uh, in South Dakota. He was a big Native uh, Native American rights activist, of course. He was a libertarian, and in 83, he agreed to be Larry Flint's running mate for president. And they ran for president. Mm. And of course, Woody Harrelson would, two years later, play Larry Flint in The People versus Larry Flint. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a fun connection. And then... Uh, In 1987, he ran for president of the Libertarian Party, and he came in a close second to Ron Paul. Okay. And then uh, he ended up, he died in 2012 at age 72. But I thought it was a pretty interesting background. There was a lot of fascinating stuff in there. Um, I didn't want to just print out a bunch of Wikipedia pages, but. All right. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I'd heard of him before, being from western Minnesota. I'm pretty close to the Dakotas. Okay. I grew up not too far from a native reservation, maybe about 20 miles or so, 30 miles. wasn't too far. I don't know. I wasn't there. Well, I wasn't, <laughs> I, know, I, was, I wasn't asking you specifically. <laughs> I thought you were asking me. I like, asking myself out loud, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't recognize the name. I don't recognize his name. But I guess in that area, Native American issues are, I guess, are... More prevalent. They're more prevalent, not as prevalent as they probably should be, but mm-hmm. more so than, say, in L.A. or New York. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, Woody has a nightmare and accidentally shoots the old Indian, kills him. Yeah. He Mallory is not happy about freaks it. Freaks out. Yeah, because uh, he took him in, they, he gave him food, he let him uh, sleep in his house, and... They end up getting gas, too. When they leave, they have gas. <laughs> <laughs> they also get bit by a bunch of snakes. Yeah, there's a lot of like, snakes. There are a lot of rattlesnakes out there. So, you know, they, they she storms bit, out, yeah. and he's following her, and just snakes everywhere. <laughs> there's another deleted scene where, so after they get bit, mm-hmm. they end up driving to a drive-in movie theater. <laughs> 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 They're just kind of all loopy from the venom yeah mallory's like should we go get some anti-venom and Woody Harrelson's more of in the mindset of well if it's our time to die we'll die i mm. guess we'll see <laughs> 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 trying to watch a movie <laughs> <laughs> but they end up going to get some snake juice at the drug zone <laughs> the holy place that's weird it's kind of weird how empty that place is yeah but it seems like it's very late at night, but then yeah. it's like, well, you got to, so it must be like a 24-hour supermarket pharmacy. Yeah. But the only one working there is the pharmacist. Yeah, the, he's the only clerk left. The only clerk left. <laughs> <laughs> he just happens to be watching a, a profile of Mickey Mallory on TV. Yeah. Uh, Pushes the, the silent alarm. Mickey's like, hey, Mallory, look at that. Oh, shit. What did you do? <laughs> yeah, which is weird because there's no way he can see the alarm going off, but his face changes and he knows he hit the mm. alarm. Yeah. So he immediately takes out his gun and, you know, he kills him. And he, he just takes a whole bunch of different pill bottles, hoping that one of them's <laughs> the anti-venom. Does stuff keep you hard? <laughs> <laughs> and then they, uh, the Skignetti and the cops show up and a large gunfight ensues. Oh, yeah. Which Mallory's taking hostage right away and Skignetti starts. Oh, cut her tits off. Yeah, cut her tits off and does cut her in the chest area yeah. in the midsection i like mickey's response he's like do it we'll buy her some new cell cone ones 
But the only uh, the only media that shows up is like a Japanese news outlet, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought the lines were kind of funny because she goes, uh, and it's in Japanese or whatever. I don't know. I assume they're Japanese, but they might be something else: Korean, yeah. Chinese. It's whatever their native language is, and it's subtitled. And she goes, uh, "Mickey is quite viral. He has a very large gun." <laughs> is it virile? Viral. Yeah, but it, virile. I don't know. Is it V I R I L E? Viral. 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 Not viral, like yeah, like video. Virile. Yeah, sure. And then uh, when they finally get on me, he is now rendered impotent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so they subdue him. Jack Scagnetti is just soaking in the, you know, he brings the cameras in closer. He says, come on, get a good look. And then uh, he finally gets them both in uh, custody. Yeah, they're just beating the hell out of Mallory. Oh, yeah. Although she does fight back at one point, and then once they get her on the ground, they're just beating the fuck out of her. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're holding her arms behind her back and beating her, and yeah. they, they tase Woody Harrelson after he takes his knife out and or he, he grabs that knife and stabs one of the cops mm-hmm. and it's Kagney, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. It's like <laughs> you should just fucking shoot him. Right. <laughs> he just killed another or at least stabbed another cop right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And he's threatening all the rest of them with the knife. And he almost got Skagnetti too. Yep. But uh <laughs> well he was egging him on. I go, bring it, bring it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's like the big climax of the first half. Yeah, and then it cuts to one year later mm-hmm. at Batongaville, at which time they've already killed like eight or nine more people. <laughs> there was like five prisoners, three guards, a psychiatrist, or something. Three inmates, five guards, and one shrink. Okay, three inmates, five guards, and a shrink. Yep, and that's not even Stephen Wright because Mallory wants to kill Stephen Wright. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> don't believe what women tell me. <laughs> Stephen Wright's great. For those of you who don't know, he's a kind of a famous comedian, or at least famous among comedians. Yeah. Uh, kind of a legendary comic. Oh, yeah. He's uh how do you describe it? Whatever, like a famous joke of his, or a, f- a famous joke that is very similar to his type of jokes would be, I spilled spot remover on my dog, now he's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The, yeah. Those types of jokes. It's just like one-liners. Just yeah, he has that type of stand-up where it's just kind of joke after joke where he's just, there's no... It's deadpan. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, deadpan. It's, it's just all deadpan delivery. Just all same monotone delivery, but it's just the most uh, like ridiculous thing. There's no stories behind the jokes that he explains to the audience. It's yeah. just joke A... Joke B, joke C, joke D. Yeah, so he's <laughs> rattles got, through him. He's got like Rodney one, Dangerfield used to do t- different type of mm-hmm. humor, but he would just had one liners. Like Stephen Wright's got a joke. Uh, I took a walk around the, the outside of my building on the ledge. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of widths. <laughs> you know, it's it's just stuff like that. Just yeah. dumb stuff. See, so yeah, Skagnetti shows up to prison, which this part still confuses me a little bit. So apparently soon thereafter, they're going to transfer Mickey and Mallory to a mental health facility for the rest of their lives, and they're going to be yeah. 
basically electroshocked into nothingness. Mm-hmm. And Skegnetti is there to supervise the transfer. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's the one that's uh, going to be in charge of transporting them. Seems like he might have an ulterior motive. He might want to kill him, a la Jack Ruby, because he does allude to Jack Ruby. Yeah, so he's going to be famous for killing the killer. Yeah, and which would uh, make sense because he devoted his life to tracking down these killers since his mom was killed by a mass murderer. Mm-hmm. Yet he himself is a murderer as he kills a prostitute in his hotel room. Pinky. Pinky. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Yeah, he just strangles her to death for mm-hmm. no apparent reason. Yeah, just because. Just a big rush for him, I guess. Well, then uh, later in the movie, he's talking to Mallory, and he's like, hey, guess what? I killed somebody. Like, no shit. <laughs> and then his, his face gets serious, like he he knows the gravity of the situation, and he almost, almost regrets it, but mm-hmm. not. No, I don't think he does. I forget what this was in a uh, relation to, but at one point he goes, "A worm in my blood stool has more attraction to me than that." <laughs> and it was something to do with Mickey or Mallory. I forget. Yeah, I forget too. <laughs> uh, we should also mention the uh, the deleted scene. Probably the best one is the deleted courtroom scene mm-hmm. where Ashley Judd is on the witness stand. She was the the one that Mickey and Mallory left alive after a home invasion in which she was a teenager and there was some sort of a sleepover. Hmm. And they went in and killed all the all the girls at the party and even her, Ashley Judd's brother. So she's testifying against him in open court. And Mickey is representing himself and Mallory <laughs> in court. And he's cross-examining her and uh, asking her a bunch of questions, kind of intimidating the witness he picks up one of the knives uh one of the murder weapons and is swinging around in front of her so they, they get him to put the knife down but he's he's been holding a pencil the whole time and he ends up stabbing ashley judd in front of everyone multiple times in the chest and kills her mm-hmm. stabs her in the heart uh it's a pretty crazy scene in that scene uh mallory's sitting at the same table as mickey but she's looking into the audience and skagnetti's there and she's giving him the Kind of the eat me out tongue mm-hmm. type of thing. So it's almost like she's flirting with him. The Manny Ribera tongue? Yeah, the Manny <laughs> Ribera tongue from Scarface. Um, so they're kind of flirting. This is after they're after they were caught. Yeah. And before prison, of course. So it's it kind of feeds into the line later where when Skagnetti goes into her cell and all the guards are trying to warn him say you know don't go in there mm. and he talks about oh well, i think she's got a sweet streak for me yeah but uh yeah so we're introduced to tommy lee jones warden dwight mccluskey who is fabulous in here <laughs> he's amazing red hat or uh, redneck love the hair the mustache the ducktail hair and that pencil thin mustache <laughs> sideburns uh, mutton, uh, mutton chops almost almost yeah mm. He's uh he's pretty eccentric. <laughs> he's a little, he's wound a little tight, <laughs> to say the least. But, but uh, uh, yeah, well, Wayne Gale is at prison. Mm-hmm. Everybody's on edge because Wayne Gale's in town. Yep. Or uh, making Mallory get everybody wound up. Uh, 
But there's that scene in the uh, the mess hall, the cafeteria, to show McCluskey. He's uh, he doesn't take shit from anybody. You know, he runs a tight ship. Yep. And he's uh, you know, you know, like the silence. It's too quiet in here. And then that. <laughs> what the fuck you looking at? <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of an altercation and puts a stop to it by. What does he have, like tongs or something, or pliers? I don't even know what it was. I forget what you call those, because they are pliers, but it's like needle nose. Well, not needle nose pliers, because those are pretty much. It almost looked like tongs. I don't yeah. know. Tong pliers. I don't know the something name for like them. But... And he, he grabs the guy's nose, and then he wraps like a like fishing line or thread around it, so it tightens up. Yeah. And it's a big dude. It's a big, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, puts him in his place pretty quick. So yeah, he doesn't let the guards take care of it. He does it himself. <laughs> There's a scene later during the uh, the big Super Bowl Sunday interview where Mickey makes a move and Dwight starts grabbing for it, and <laughs> <laughs> he kind of fumbles with it. And he's like, "Don't make me do it." <laughs> so it was pretty hilarious, but yeah. So Mallory's off in her own, you know, cell, you know, isolation. Uh, what do they call that? I don't know. Solitary. Solitary. Uh, and then Mickey is meeting with Wayne Gale. Yeah. Wayne's got a pitch for him for a big interview live <laughs> on TV. You got a clip here yeah. from it. We call him media. You know, Skagnetti had a had a problem with them. Yeah. Klesky goes, well, Jack, we call them media. We are talking about nothing less than television history. The first sit-down, in-depth interview with the most charismatic serial killer ever. One day before he's being shipped away to a middle hospital for the rest of his life. This is Wallace and Noriega. This is... Yes, Elton John confessing his bisexuality to Rolling Stone. This is the Paisley's brothers and Altamond. This is the fucking Nixon Frost interviews. Yes, I mean. So the initial thought is to, I mean, we're going to have promos at the Super Bowl. It'll be a big thing. And then mm-hmm. it kind of evolves into, let's, let's do, do this interview on Super Bowl Sunday. Right after the game, you know. People will be pissed because the game sucked, and mm-hmm. but they'll tune in for Mickey. Yep. And uh, at the time, the warden didn't think they'd be able to get rid of all the red tape in time to do the interview before they're transferred, so he's not really no. really paying it no bother, mm-hmm. not paying much attention to it. But uh, wouldn't you know it, all the red tape is cleared, and the interview is a go mm-hmm. the night before they're supposed to be transferred. Yep. Super Bowl Sunday. Cowboys win. Yeah, the, cow- <laughs> the Cowboys won. I, I it was accurate like, for the time. Was that was that accurate? I can't remember. Well, they won three out of four years. Yeah, from about ninety two to ninety five. Yeah, I think the Forty ers won in the middle. Yeah, they did. Yeah, the Forty ers might have won the ninety four one. I think it was like what ninety two, ninety three, and then ninety five again for the Cowboys, and then ninety six was the Packers, I believe. Maybe it was 97 for the Packers. No, I think the Packers was 96 because um, 
they lost the next year to uh, Denver, and then Denver won it ninety eight. Well, I yeah. guess it would be ninety nine. One did. Yeah. Fuck. Ninety eight, ninety nine. Because two thousand was the Ravens. Or no, sorry, uh, two thousand was shit. St. <laughs> Louis, Gray Show and Turf was what ninety nine. Well, it was the ninety nine season, but it would have been in two thousand. Yeah. Fucking confusing. NFL. That makes sense. He had 98, 97 Broncos, 96 Packers, 95 Cowboys, 94 49ers, 93, 92 Cowboys. Right. But that was the, when the season started. So the yeah. Super Bowl would win the next That's year. how I kind of treat them all. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like the Oscars. <laughs> they always take place in February. But the 2018 winner for Best Picture was... So the, 90, so the 93 season is the one that would have been taking place during this movie. Yeah. Or it's a year later, so maybe it's the 94 season. <laughs> but they had to have made it during 93. There's just no way they got this movie out in a, in a oh, quick no, fashion. No. <laughs> a lot of editing. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I so don't know. They must have maybe taken they, all 93 to make it. Maybe they just edited in the the game footage after the fact. Could have. Some of that OJ stuff, you know, OJ was like right in 94, and this came out in 94. Yeah. So I'm sure they got that stuff towards the... Uh, right at the end of production. Yeah. But anyways. So there's a there's a scene in there where uh, they're kind of producing the, uh, the American Maniac show. So that's where Dr. Reingold, Stephen Wright, shows up. And then they show them arriving at the courthouse, and there's just mobs of people there to cheer them on, you know, because they're rock stars. Everybody just loves them. Yeah. There's even a sign that says, Mickey and Mallory, murder me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the kind of cult following they've developed over their uh, crime spree. And they get interviewed, and they, they just talk about how great it is, how much they love it, and how, you know, just all the support they're getting and things like that. And then that kind of leads into the Super Bowl Sunday interview. Yep. Uh, I have a couple of clips from the interview. Uh, it's a pretty terrific interview. <laughs> oh, yeah. To say the least. Um, so I just got a couple of different clips from it, one towards the middle, one at the very end of the interview. So I'll play those right now. So tell me, Mickey, how can you look at an ordinary person, an innocent guy with kids, and then shoot him to death? I mean, how can you bring yourself to do that? Innocent? Who's innocent, Wayne? You innocent? I'm innocent. Yes, I am. Of murder? Definitely. It's just murder, man. All God's creatures do it in some form or another. I mean, you look in the forest. You got species killing other species. Our species killing all species, including the forest. And we just call it industry, not murder. But I know a lot of people who uh, deserve to die. (laughs) Why do they they deserve to die? I think everybody got something in their past, some sin, some awful secret thing. A lot of people walking around out there already dead, just need to be put out of their misery. <laughs> That's where I come in, fate's messenger. Except a corn of wheat falleth to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
Oh, the theory that everyone meets a serial killer halfway thing. Is that what you're saying? Well, the wolf don't know why he's a wolf. The deer don't know why he's a deer. God just made it that way. You're saying that the world itself is predatory. That when a mountain lion takes down an elk, it's because it's the elk's time to go. And all the BS liberal agenda about saving the animal herds only serves to overpopulate the balance of nature. Maybe you're right, maybe. I don't think so, but maybe you're right. Oliver Stone talked about a little of that. The documentary, I should say, talked about just what Woody Harrelson says, you know, Mm. species killing other species, human species killing all species, Mm. uh, killing the the earth. Yeah, the forest pollution. Just call it industry. Yep. Not pollution. But it's kind of weird, you know, watching this interview and you're like, God, this Mickey guy has a there's a couple of things he says that are pretty right. But (laughs) it's Mickey that's saying it. So. (laughs) Well, then it's like, maybe murder isn't that bad, <laughs> <laughs> you know? It is kind of natural now that you put it that way. I think it speaks to how they normalize these ki- mm-hmm. these killers. Maybe that's how it's normalized for certain people watching it, Im- impressionable audience members. Yeah. They see one point that he makes that might be valid, and so that means that all of it must be valid. Right. And you don't necessarily... You know, it's it's flawed reasoning, right? Yeah. To say, well, I can kill other people because the wolf kills the deer. <laughs> yeah. Because we kill cows. Mm-hmm. That means I could kill another person. It's flawed reasoning, like I said. So Yeah. I just like when he says, uh, you know, killing the forest or pollution. We don't call it pollution, just called industry. Yeah. I was like, well, that that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but oh well. Let's get to the next clip the end of the interview here then was it really worth it was what worth it? was massacring all those people worth being separated from your love for the rest of your life you mean was an instant of my purity worth a lifetime of your lies wayne please explain to me where's the purity that you couldn't live without in the 52 people who are no longer on this planet because they met you and mallory what's that pure about that how do you do it You'll never understand, Wayne. You and me, we're not even the same species. I used to be you, then I evolved. From where you're standing, you're a man. From where I'm standing, you're an ape. You're not even an ape. You're a media person. Media is like the weather, only it's man-made weather. Murder? It's pure. You're the one who made it impure. You're buying and selling fear. You say, why? Say, why bother? Are you done? Great. Then let's cut the BS and get real. Why this purity that you feel about killing? Why for Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me! I guess, Wayne, you just gotta hold that old shotgun in your hand and it comes clear like it did for me the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that, Mickey? Shit, man. I'm a natural-born killer. I think the most interesting line he says in the interview is when he says the media is like the weather, only it's man-made. Yeah. I find that very fascinating <laughs> concept to think about. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's pretty baller when he says I'm a natural-born killer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the money line. That is the money line. Oh, my God. You're not even an ape. You're a media person. Yep. You know, even today... Well, especially today, there's a lot of people who think that. Yeah. You know, if you're in the media, you're not even human. You're subhuman. 
you know, spreading lies and yeah, causing controversy and stirring up shit that doesn't need to be stirred up for your ratings. Yeah. You know. One line I, I don't think we caught in there was, uh, I think, earlier in the interview, he says, uh, the only thing that kills the demon is love. Yeah. Which I always like that line. Yeah. You know? Only love kills the demon. Mm-hmm. Although he's fibbing a little bit. He says, we were going to stop killing anyways because the old man took it out of us, you know, and love yeah. beat the demon. But yet they've killed nine people or they've been <laughs> in prison and then they kill a dozen or two dozen more on their way out. <laughs> and then Wayne Gale on live TV. Yeah. You're the last one. That's it. Yeah. But that does seem like they do quick killing because they live happily ever after with their with their kids in the their, Winnebago. Yep. <laughs> Just traveling around. So he drops the I'm a natural born killer line and the prison is watching. You know, everybody's watching on TV and it, Starts a riot. Are you, do you mean to tell me that there was an impressionable audience watching television? And they were incited to violence from watching said television. I don't know if they were incited to <laughs> violence, but they they might have been inspired to change their circumstances. <laughs> and that that scene is uh, that riot scene is pretty intense. It's pretty outrageous. Some yeah. of the stuff they do. I never seen anything like it when I saw it the first time. I was like, this is fucking nuts. And like the the music that goes along with it, yep. Like uh, bomb track by uh, Rage Against the Machine is playing through a lot of it, and yep. I mean it's just, and it's frantic, quick cuts. A lot of it's in black and white. Some of it is uh, security cam footage, and you just see people running around and slashing people's throats and putting people in ovens and uh people are getting hung people are getting stabbed shots oh, yeah. there's explosions going off <laughs> yeah like they got bombs in there all of a sudden i don't know yeah uh so mccleskey uh shuts down the interview and he's gonna go deal with the riot and the wreck woman b-wing <laughs> <laughs> and uh the tv crews in there just they don't know what to do now so mickey's trying to break the ice a little bit he's, he's working the, the crowd <laughs> And uh, I don't know how many jokes he said because they See, cut this back. Is a, this he, is a tough room. Yeah, he's, this is a tough room. And it's, I always loved the, the little Johnny joke. Yep. Where he's, uh, well, he'd probably have a clip, but it works better if you visually see it. There's a joke where he's telling the story of sister asked mother if she can go to the movies, the drive-in with uh, Bobby. And mother says, well, you can go, but you t- got to take your brother, little Johnny, with you. And then after the date, mother's trying to ask little Johnny about what, what happened. And, you know, he, he can't talk, so he's miming everything. And he's yeah. like miming driving to the drive-in and the theater. And like, okay, then what? And then he pretends like they're kissing, you know, mimes mm-hmm. that. Okay, then what? And then he does the the boob honk. <laughs> he felt her up. Yeah, he grabs that security guard's boobs. <laughs> yeah. Or man's breasts. Yeah. And then it's, you know, they took their clothes off, and then he starts humping and like, okay, well, all that was happening. What were you doing? And then he's like doing the jack-off motion. Little Johnny, no. <laughs> and then he he uses it to distract the, the guards. He breaks Kavanaugh's nose, right? And then steals his shotgun. Yeah, and he, then he throws just, throws the donut. The other guy is just like 
frozen. He yep. just starts blasting people. Still holding the donut at the end. <laughs> donut and the shotgun with one hand. Drop it. I meant the gun. Yeah, Mickey goes <laughs> off in there, kills a bunch of people. Indiscriminately. Good thing Marvin Nash is still alive, though, to work the camera. Yep. Well, luckily they had the handheld because they, they took out all the the stationary cameras. Yeah. So they have a, kind of a train of people going through trying to escape. Well, trying to go down to to get Mallory, who's yep. been dealing with Skegnetti through this whole time. Yeah, Skegnetti's been trying to fuck Mallory for about the past 20 minutes. <laughs> and uh, she plays it off like she is going to fuck him, and then she, she snaps. She kind of plays naive, you know. Are you flirting with me? She does that thing again. Mm-hmm. Here's a fun fact. Uh, when she slammed his head in the wall, she did break his nose. Yeah. <laughs> they talked about it in the in the scene. That whole scene, um, when they started to shoot, Tom Sizemore is talking about how you know, he first opens up the door and he says, What, rise and shine? Something like that. Rise and shine, Mallory. Yeah. He said it again, you know, rise and shine, Mallory. She didn't say anything. She was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and so he walk Tom Sizemore just walks off and Oliver Stone's yelling what the hell are you doing? You know, you don't cut. Like, what the fuck are you doing? He runs over there. And he's like, she's fucking sleeping. He goes, she's supposed to be sleeping. He's like, no, like, she's sleeping. <laughs> they walk over to her and she was actually fucking sleeping. That's funny. So they had to delay the, the scene for a little while while they woke her up, got her in a trailer, woke her up more, and then she came back out and they did the scene. But, yeah, when he says, she slams him on the wall, and he goes, this bitch broke my fucking nose. <laughs> it's because she did. <laughs> well, when he, when he first goes down there, she's singing a song, which Juliette Lewis wrote, mm-hmm. and then she just runs headfirst into the door. Yeah. And apparently, I forget how many, but they, they roomed a couple cameras doing that shot. Yeah, a uh, cameraman got hurt doing that, Oliver <laughs> Stone said. Yeah. I saw his eyes. I was all bandaged up because I'm sure they were looking in the eyepiece while they charged the yeah. door. And then they just slammed the door. Yeah. And so apparently they were not too happy with Oliver that day. Tom Sizemore, when it broke his nose, you know, medical staff was looking at him and they were like, well, you could use a, a stitch or two here. And Oliver Stone's like, no, no, <laughs> we got to shoot yeah. with this. And <laughs> Sizemore was like, you know, I, I kind of like that mentality. Mm-hmm. Shooting like that, so. Well, you save, he wasn't complaining. You but, save on special effects. Yeah, <laughs> it's real and raw. <laughs> Let's go with it. Let's do it. So yeah, Mickey gets there, and there's another big shootout. Yep, they have a Mexican standoff, and uh, Mallory comes too because she was maced by Skegnetti a whole bunch. Oh yeah, he emptied the <laughs> he emptied the canister. Which I'm surprised it didn't uh, fuck everybody else up. As uh, well, I can see uh, one of the guards was looked like he was affected by it, yeah. and that he was Cause that punched is a, over. That is a confined space to spray that much pepper spray into. Yeah, she stabs him in the neck with something. I couldn't figure out what it was. I it almost looks like a shiv. Yeah, that was pretty graphic because he doesn't die right away. Yeah, and then you find out Mickey was out of shells. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so Mallory uses Skagnetti's own gun to, to finish him off. Mm-hmm. 
And they go up and down the prison. Uh, I got a little clip here just for Brett. This is Wayne Gale. <laughs> he's reporting from Patonga Prison. Patongaville. I think he's trying to make like a, an Attica reference. Like, Attica, <laughs> Attica. What's happening, Wayne? Patonga, 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 Patonga. And Patongaville. Get it, get it. Right. <laughs> it's being broadcast live on, did you notice the W-A-T-C-H TV? Oh yeah, watch TV. I didn't at first. I wasn't paying attention because yeah. like you hear. Uh, I think when they're watching the Super Bowl, you hear an ad, and but you don't see it. You hear it. Stay tuned to yeah. W A T C H after uh-huh. the game for the interview. Yep. At the time, I was just thinking, well, that's five letters. That's that's, that's too many. That's letters. a bullshit. That's too many letters. It's a bullshit station. <laughs> and then they show watch TV, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's real catchy. <laughs> watch TV is the station. Uh, I always, I always. They're broadcasting at, everything. Every time I heard that batanga, 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 I just bust out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's so, it's kind of random. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah. So what they meet up with uh, Owen? Yeah. Just some guy named Owen just shows up because it seems like some specialized, some sort of specialized police force shows up, mm-hmm. or it might be a different division of the prison police force where it's like a raid or the riot riot control yeah and uh so owen brings them through the bowels of the building but then they just a place where he wants to go to you know (laughs) get away himself get get away away from the you know (laughs) which is that's their guardian angel who's shown up at different parts throughout the movie he shows up in the very beginning in the diner scene as it's almost like an apparition yep it kind of disappears. You're like, what the fuck was that all about? Yeah. And it kind of makes sense at the end. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of get cornered. Uh, Kavanaugh, they're using Kavanaugh as a human shield. <laughs> and fucking McCluskey just has them open fire on him because he's already dead. <laughs> and he, he's not. Not until they put about 35 bullets in him. Yeah. They concoct another plan. After Mallory yeah. suggests to go out and a hail of bullets, but you know Mickey says we'll yeah. do that if all else fails. Yeah. So they use duct tape and tape two shotguns to the uh, Wayne Gale and, and uh, the other Duncan Mocha. Was that his name? I well, forget. he's calling him like Duncan Mocha. <laughs> I don't remember. But uh, he, he was the uh, donut cop. I was holding uh, on to the donut. And, there's uh, a there's a subplot in there where. Wayne Gale's cheating on his wife with, <laughs> with an Asian woman named with Ming. Ming, who works at a Ming's restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Ming isn't a woman. Ming is a restaurant. These <laughs> restaurants. When the phone rings, just answer Ming's restaurant. Ming Dynasty. Ming Dynasty. What, yeah. How can I help you? <laughs> what do you want? He's popping pills, too, in the bathroom, yeah. so he's a little on edge. Well, he got his hand shot. Yeah. <laughs> Mallory shot a hole in his hand to show that they weren't fucking around. I don't know. It's it just kind of a strange uh, subplot. It doesn't really add a whole lot other than to show that Wayne Gale's a real asshole. Yeah, I think they're just trying to show more, like, since he represents the media, that he's corrupt. Yeah. And, like, you could even say, uh, you know, Skegnetti, they show him as a murderer. I don't know necessarily to say that law enforcement is... You yeah. could say that you know they're they're saying law enforcement is corrupt, which more evidence would be the McCluskey or how they allude to how they treat prisoners mm-hmm. in this movie. But I think it more so it's that they're saying 
you know, Scagnetti's a, a celebrity. He's an author. He's prom- self-promoted himself. He's mm-hmm. become famous. Yeah. And maybe he, I well, guess his celebrity is what caused his corruption. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you know, Wayne dumps his wife and then gets dumped by his mistress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to come over there and shove a hot pepper up your ass. <laughs> then, he, then he broadcasts it on uh, national TV. Yeah. <laughs> but So they, they're like, uh, so they, they get the the situation with the guns taped to uh, yeah. you know the two guys and this is after also we didn't mention it but Wayne Gales joined in in the fighting he's killed oh yeah a couple of officers by now he shot them he or does, at least shot at them and helped Mickey and Mallory he does one of those cool uh, rolling shootout uh, moves yeah <laughs> he's or he's shooting the gun and he gets down on the ground does a, a roll and keeps shooting yeah <laughs> which looks ridiculous. Yeah, he does kill or at least shoot at least one cop because he does the don't shoot Wayne Gale, don't shoot Wayne yeah. Gale, and then he shoots him. Yeah. Um, so Mickey says, we're getting out. We're going to walk out the front door. And nobody wants to stop him because it's on national TV. Yeah. And the shotguns are taped to their heads. Yeah. And so. And there was another hostage as well that uh, Mallory had, and Owen is there mm-hmm. also supporting them. Yep. So they do make their way out, and they close the door behind them, which leaves McCluskey and the other cops by themselves. Well, I didn't really notice before, but so they turn around, and there's a mob of prisoners running at them, mm-hmm. and all the cops line up, and they start mowing down the prisoners. Yeah. They were doing that in a, a double doorway, mm-hmm. and they're, both doors were flung wide open. Yep. They could have just closed the doors. <laughs> And not gotten killed. They could have shot the prisoners through the gates. Yeah. I mean, they would have locked themselves in that confined space, but, you know, they wouldn't have well, I think they're all been out. killed. I think the prisoners are getting through those doors either way. I don't know. You think so? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they were set up. So I don't know if they could have locked them or not. Do you think out, that because the one that Mickey shut was locked? Mm-hmm. So you think the other two would lock? Yeah, I don't know. It's usually how prisons work. It seems like each room will have two doors. Yeah. To get into each hallway, into each room, there's always double doors. Well, I guess they weren't thinking in the heat of the moment. Yeah. But they, well, uh, we can shoot them all. And then <laughs> they kill like 20, 30, but then they all kind of have to reload yeah. and get yeah. overwhelmed. And then it's uh, just a steady mob of prisoners just yeah. rushing them. And they overwhelm McCluskey. He gets ripped apart. They dismember him quick. Put his head on a spike. Yeah, and then they're Pretty passing gnarly. around body parts like it's a beach ball at a concert. Yeah. None of that's really in a theatrical cut. No, apparently they cut that whole part out. Or it's just implied that he's killed. Yeah, it just shows him Mason, the prisoners, as he's climbing on top of the <laughs> the wall there. But um, So they get away, and there's a final interview between Wayne Gale and Mickey Mallory out in the woods in an mm. undisclosed location. So, Mallory, after Mickey's incredible rescue, what did you think next? I was just wondering how long it would be until me and Mickey could be alone together and if I could wait that long. Mm. Wow. Oh. Mm. So, uh, so did you have anything to do with the riot? Oh, we didn't have nothing to do with that riot. You know, that was, um, what you call? 
Bait. Bait. They want to say we masterminded the whole fucking thing. You know, let them. It's not like we're, it's going to keep us up at night and stuff. Right, but the truth is, <clears throat> it was fate. Ah, yes. Fate it was. And you saw it right here on American Maniacs. You believe in reincarnation, Wayne? Ah, yes, I believe we've all lived many times. So, what's next for the Noxes? Well... I'm thinking we can lay in a big king-size bed and sleep for about two days. And I've been thinking about motherhood. So I think me and Mickey are going to get started on that as quickly as possible. <laughs> you gotta go. All right, but wait. How do you two intend to disappear? I mean, you're probably the most famous couple in America. Well, there is that underground, you know, railroad wind during okay. the spring time. Let me just swing the camera around and uh, do my little wrap-up, and we're off. Oh, we're going to do a little wrap-up, all right, Wayne. But it won't be you staring in the camera looking dumb and acting stupid. Instead, you're going to be staring down the barrels of our shotguns, and we're going to be blowing your brains all over that tree back there. <sighs> wait, 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 Tom, cut, 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 cut. That's a fucking joke, right? Why the fuck doing this old escape thing that kind of a bond developed between us? No, not really. You're scum, Wayne. You did it for ratings. You don't give a shit about us or about anybody except yourself. That's why nobody gives a shit about you. That's why helicopters were not deployed. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty to the point and that Wayne Gale only did it for ratings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, even though he tried to act like he was one of them, but his clearly all about Wayne Gale the yep. whole time. Um, Here's a fun fact. Fun fact. Uh, there's an alternate ending that depicts Mickey and Mallory murdered by Owen after picking him up in their RV. Apparently, uh, Mallory begs in vain for mercy, her last line being, wait, before being shot. Oliver Stone admits that the ending is foreshadowed by Owen's ghostly appearance in the diner at the beginning of the film and that it reflects karmic justice but stated he preferred the ambiguous ending in which it was possible that love beats the demon. Uh, did you want to go over some other stuff uh, from the movie, or do you want to get into more fun facts? Anything to wrap up? I think we've belabored our points. I think that's I mean, that's pretty much the end of the movie. You yep. know, they drive off into the sunset. They got two kids and a third on the way. They look happy in the Winnebago. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, as far as the movie, I think I think we covered pretty much everything. So we could do some fun facts. You probably consider us an ASAP, wouldn't you? Yeah. ASAP. That means now. Yeah. And if if you only seen the theatrical version, which I ha- I have not seen that, I've only seen the director's cut. I would say try to find the director's cut. Yeah. Because I've heard it makes a difference. Yeah, I and mean, when they did do it, they did reconfigure the audio and the music. To coincide with the new footage as well, mm-hmm. so it is kind of completely supervised. It is a, it is a true director's cut. It's not just an unrated cut. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's get into some more fun facts. Here's a fun fact. So the color green is used to indicate the sickness in Mickey's mind, and shows up prominently several times during the film. So there's the key lime pie. Uh, the green neon at the drugstore, 
And the green room in the prison. Mm. We mentioned this, but I guess I didn't really make the connection right away. But, you know, Detective Jack Scagnetti, speaking with the warden, uh, he says something about being as big as Jack Ruby. Because he's alluding to, you know, maybe he might kill making Mallory in the transfer. Yep. Uh, later, Skegnetti is shot to death on live TV, like Lee Harvey Oswald. So I guess that's a connection oh, that's I didn't right. make, that he yeah. is killed on live television, like Lee Harvey was. Mm-hmm. Here's another fun fact. Body count in here is 145, according to IMDb. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, the camera never angles on a straight horizontal level throughout the whole film. So it's always kind of tilted. Yep. There's a lot of big quote unquote fun facts in here that are just interpretations of different symbols in here from the Christian Bible (laughs) that are like pages and pages long. So we're not going (laughs) to go into that, but you talk about no snakes being a representation of the devil or evil and all that, but. We'll let you make up your own mind with all those symbols. So in the mess hall in the prison, a bald white man is staring at a black man, prompting the black man to try to attack him before being intercepted by Warden McCluskey. The bald man was a real prisoner who had been convicted of murdering his wife and children by beating them to death with a lead pipe. Hmm. Oliver Stone gave him a featured role because he said the man's stoicism terrified him. That makes sense. Which kind of goes into the glorifying murderers mm-hmm. kind of realm. It's like, yeah, you're satirizing it, but you're also giving a prominent role to somebody who literally beat his wife and children to death. <laughs> Here's a fun fact. According to Oliver Stone, the use of television commercials was an attempt to illustrate the comforting power such commercials have. Every commercial comes after a horrific moment or a flash cut of a demon. And Stone's idea was that commercials work to soothe people after they have been exposed to something extreme. I don't think there's anything more soothing than those polar bear Coca-Cola commercials, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Those are some of my favorites back in the day. It's taking me back. They didn't even do a Super Bowl commercial this year. They had one for the pre-show, but not during the game itself. Yeah, remember they they brought back those polar bears a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Apparently, a one-time deal. Apparently, Coca-Cola was not happy once they saw the final <laughs> <Yeah>. film, <laughs> Natural Born Killers. I believe that's one of the first items in the trivia. Yeah, because I guess it says uh, they approved it without having a full idea of what the movie is about. And when they saw the finished product, they were furious. Yeah. Which I believe. Um, yeah, I mean, we we mentioned it earlier, but Bear's mentioning it again right after... Uh, they shoot and kill Wayne Gale on live television. The anchor is shocked, horrified. Mm-hmm. And then it all of a sudden the TV channel switches. It keeps on. It goes to you see the Menendez brothers, yep. see OJ, you see, I believe, Lorena Bobbitt. Okay, yeah. I think that's who the woman was okay. saying he punched me and whatnot because Lorena Bobbitt had that abusive husband who she used a justification to. Cut his dick off, which yeah. doesn't bother me, but... I think he's been making a comeback recently. I think I heard something about him not that long ago in the news. Oh, his dick don't work, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, they replaced it. He did pornography after that. Yeah, they replaced it, but when they replaced it, it didn't work. Cause they, they did a surgery, and he had a working penis, and he wanted it bigger. 
to try to make it bigger and then it didn't work because uh, I believe the porn he made was called like Franken penis or something like that. Oh, okay. So I don't know. It was, I guess it was some sort of a, a novelty porn or something like that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he was a featured, if he was just a, made a cameo or what. He once saved uh, Val Venus from getting his penis cut off by Mr. Yamaguchi-san. Huh. <laughs> on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the film contains almost 3,000 cuts. Most films have 600 to 700. Negative cutter Dona Bassett cut 4,000 negative images into the film. The most complex job ever undertaken by a negative cutter. Yep. Sounds about right. Michael Madsen was initially considered for the role of Mickey... But Warner Brothers wanted somebody less intimidating and with a softer persona as they felt this might alleviate the brutality of the character somewhat. So they wanted a more likable mass murderer. Yep. Took them 11 months to edit the film, which I believe. How about this? When putting together the music for the film, Oliver Stone and Trent Reznor wanted to get Snoop Dogg involved, but Warner Brothers wouldn't allow it. As Snoop Dogg was on trail for murder at the time. <laughs> Would have been perfect. But they let that other murderer be in the movie, the one that was convicted. So in this this little trivia factoid, in which only 19 of 33 people found interesting, it says that the wrestling match that Rodney Dangerfield is watching involves Chris Chavis as Tatanka and Barry Hardy. Does Barry Hardy ring a bell for you? No. So just some jobber. Just some jabroni. <laughs> Here's another fun fact. Yeah, so it looks like that POV scene we talked about with Mallory running into the door. So Robert Richardson broke his finger, mm-hmm. and then the replacement cameraman cut his eye. <laughs> with this, Robert Downey Jr. spent time with the Australian television shock king, shock king Steve Dunleavy to prepare for the role of Wayne Gale. And when he came back with an Australian accent, the filmmakers decided to go with it, and Gail became Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go with it. I knew it was something like that. Well, there's a lot of uh, you know, foreigners in our media today. Mm-hmm. Late night shows, just plenty of different talk shows are hosted by people with British and Australian accents. So the uh, the story on American Maniacs of them killing the cop is taken almost verbatim from a story by J. Edgar Hoover in the 1930s about Bonnie and Clyde. But the uh, J. Edgar Hoover's story fell apart when questions were raised as to how, if the officer was alone when he was killed, Hoover could possibly have determined that it was uh, Barrow who killed him as there were no witnesses to the murder. No. Yeah, so I guess that's uh, we call it there for All right. fun facts. Well, we're going to be continuing this discussion of culture and media with uh, a few more movies, which will be coming over the next month or so. Mm-hmm. I think we're probably going to do Itania next, so be looking forward to that. Otherwise, reach out to us. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Check out our website at WTMWatchThisMovie.com. Follow us on Twitter at WatchThis underscore Movie. You can follow Brett 
at Positively Wolf One. Yep. And uh, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and Stitcher. And we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you're off my case.